0: Our reading today is from Psalms chapter 3. And that can be found in on page uh, 543 of our blue Bible Bibles. Page 543. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory. The one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down, sleep, awake again, because the Lord is sister. The Lord sustain me. I will not fear, though, tens of thousands that saved me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of all, my, all the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people.
1: morning and uh, thank you very much for reading, Manuel. Let me uh, pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you again for your word. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to study your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be attentive and that you would help me to be clear in what I say, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. (laughs) So how might you cope When your life falls apart? How do the parents cope when their teenage daughter self harms and dies? How do the parents cope when their young daughter is shot in their own home? How does a family cope when the young father is diagnosed with a life threatening disease? And how did King David cope when he was in grave danger of losing his life? Well, we know how he reacted, for it was that situation that caused him to write Psalm 3. The psalm breaks down very conveniently into four couplets, and incidentally, many commentators believe that David wrote Psalms 3 and 4 at the same time, and the strength of that argument may become apparent next week when we look at Psalm 4. But verses 1 and 2, and I've put there the heading, David's pain, Some of you may not be familiar with the circumstances of David's life hitting rock bottom, and not for the first time. His own son, Absalom, led a revolt against him and sought to kill him. David had reigned for decades as the king of Israel. It had become a great nation under his leadership. He was incredibly powerful, and as often is the case, uh, wealth comes with power. But he was the man... God had chosen to be, the, to be king, described by God as a man after his own heart. As a good a king as he undoubtedly was, he was not perfect, and the threat against his life was the ultimate consequence of his sin. And sadly, one of the episodes in David's life which many people are most familiar with is the occasion when he slept with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, On being told that uh, she was pregnant, David arranged to do away with Uriah. He ordered him to be set up to be killed in battle. He was left so exposed uh, in the battle that his death was almost guaranteed. Uh, The plan was accomplished. David did eventually repent when the prophet Nathan confronted him, but his sins led to tragedies within his family. The fact is that he was a better king than he was a father. His eldest son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar, and her brother, Absalom, then murdered Amnon. Absalom fled into exile for several years. Although he was finally allowed to return, David refused to see him for two years. Absalom's resentment against his father grew and he began a campaign to turn the people against David, to gain their support for himself. The Bible tells us that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And when the revolt came, David had to flee with his family, uh, his servants and the loyal supporters that stuck with him. And on the way, he encountered a man named Shemai. Uh, he was connected with the family of the previous king, Saul. He cursed David Threw stones at him and accused him of bringing about his own downfall by being a man of bloodshed. Clearly, David was in a wretched state when he wrote this psalm, fearing for his own life at the hands of his own son. Absalom's treachery and betrayal must have made David's pain so much more difficult to bear. And so, what does David do? He pours out his heart to God. In verses 1 and 2. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. He tells, what, he tells God what God already knows. That is precisely what God wants us to do when we're in trouble, to tell him. Yes, of course, he already knows the pain we're carrying, but he delights when we pour out our heart to him. And we can follow David's example and get straight to the point. He doesn't use many words, does he? Just note how few words he uses. But also note that he uses that word many three times, which just surely underlines that he's totally overwhelmed by the scale of the opposition, the number of people who are out to kill him. And David tells the law that many people are suggesting that he will be wasting his time asking for his help, perhaps because of the sin he has committed. Do we ever think that, that our trouble, our mess, though very significant for little old me, is far too trivial to have God's attention, or even if it does get God's attention? Is he not really concerned? Not with our record of failures, and sins, and that is one of Satan's favourite strategies. He wants to keep us from sharing our concerns and troubles with God. He recognises the power of prayer. And he recognises that our faith is vitally dependent upon a regular pattern of prayer. And so Satan will go to any lengths to keep us from spending time with the Lord he will feed us with a lie that's very familiar to me it's not really an effective use of your time not now you have so much to get through to through perhaps later if you have time but satan is quite content for us to pour out our troubles to others and that is what we are so willingly so willing to do so often we will always make time for that and yet often The last person we go to is the Lord. Ignore Satan's lies, make Almighty God our go to person with every need and whenever a crisis looms. But more than that, whenever you have a reason to thank Him and worship Him, and we have a reason to do that daily. And then in verses 3 and 4, we have David's protector. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. It's a great little word, but... And in the Psalms, it's often used to make a shift from, for example a state of despair to hope or from a state of fear to peace or it contrasts the evil ways of men with the righteousness and holiness of God and here in verse 3 it reflects a shift of focus for David from his frightening circumstances to his confidence in the Lord whom he is able to trust to protect him and defend him. He likens the Lord to a shield around him, not simply in front of him or behind him, but around him. Abraham was told by God himself that he was Abraham's shield. And David spoke of God being his shield on a previous occasion, when he'd been kept safe from Saul, who was looking to kill him. And that previous experience of God's protection and deliverance gave him the confidence that God would do so again. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll again see reference to the Lord being a shield when we study Psalm 5. And then if we were to continue through the Psalms uninterrupted at some point in 2025, we've come across a further reference in Psalm 144. But there will be many references on our journey through the Psalms. Uh, The Lord is is referred to as a shield. But let me emphasize, it's not our plan to go through the Psalms uninterrupted until 2025. But also, we we see here uh, that David refers, speaks of the Lord as being my glory. Despite his great earthly acclaim, now in jeopardy, David is acknowledging that his identification with the Lord is his only claim to glory. Whether the Lord restored David to his place of earthly prominence or not, God was his glory. And that is true for all Christians. We will share in Christ's glory. And let us never forget that our ultimate joy will come when we are delivered from all the troubles that this world will bring, and when we are with Christ, sharing in his glory. And then David refers to the one, the Lord, who lifts my head high. To lift up the head is a Hebrew expression for restoring someone who is cast down. Restoring them to their dignity and position. When he was in prison, Joseph told the cupbearer, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. Implicit in that is the restoring to the former joy if we humble ourselves and cry out to him. God brings joy to those he restores. In another of his Psalms, uh, 27, David writes, Then my head will be exalted, that is, lifted up, above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. And then in verse four, God is also one who answers prayers. He answer, I call out to the Lord, and He answers me from His holy mountain." It's very clear, as if we were to look through, this, through David's psalms, he wrote virtually half of the psalms, 73, at least, of the 150 that unlike many Christians today, he was not just a man who would pray in times of crisis. For him, prayer was a daily habit and it was his personal experience that God answers prayer. God's holy mountain refers to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. When David and his supporters gathered in Jerusalem, ready to leave to escape from Absalom and his men. They were joined by the high priest Zadok and the Levites with the Ark of the Covenant to join in the escape. But David sent them back into the city, saying, as we read in 2 Samuel, Take the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favour in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. David's heart was humbled before God. He knew that the Lord would always hear his cries and answer them. But he did not presume that God would always grant him precisely what he wanted. And it's important to understand that. About 60,000 soldiers have been killed in Ukraine, some Christians. Thousands of prayers will have been prayed for God's protection, for the soldiers engaged in the war, and for civilians. Some of those prayers may have been based on Psalm 3. All the prayers were heard and answered, but not all were answered according to the wishes of those praying. But we need to hold on to what is the truth in God's word. We know from Romans chapter 8 that the Apostle Paul was convinced, as I hope that we are, that God works for the good of those who love him, and even death cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We must humble ourselves before God, realising that our only plea is his grace. And whatever our circumstances, and even if the trouble we're in is, a, is the result of our own stupidity, our own foolishness, or our own sin, we can cry out to the Lord for grace. And we know that he will hear and answer according to his purpose. And then in verses 5 and 6, we see David's peace. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I would not fear, though, tens of thousands assail me on every side. After crying out to God in prayer, David then went to bed in the wilderness And we might have expected that he would have remained awake, alert to any sign of his enemies approaching. Or if he had confidence in others who were charged with keeping watch, we would have expected at the very least a restless night. But no, it's a very matter-of-fact statement. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. It conveys the impression that it was no surprise to David. It was just what he expected, that sleep, that rest, that peace. It reminded, reminded me of how Peter went in prison and due for trial the next day. He slept so soundly that the angel had problems waking him up uh, to get him out of the prison. The angel had to really nudge him to wake him. And the tens of thousands assailing David on every side was not an issue for him. He was not frightened. And isn't that precisely what the Apostle Paul meant, quoting again from Romans 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? We cannot visualize the situation David faced, being hunted down by such a vast number wanting his blood. But let us never forget that that is the experience of a vast number of Christians across the world. Many have no option but to be secret believers, for all those about them are their enemies. In some cases, even those within their own household. It's estimated that about 360 million Christians now suffer significant persecution for their faith. And last year, 6,000 were martyred, about a quarter more than the year before. And then in verses 7 and 8, David's prayer. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I came across a meditation on verse 7. Um, we did read that correctly, didn't we? But the, the writer had given the title to, to verse 7. Dear God, please punch that guy in the mouth. It would have been much, more, much better if David had finished the psalm at verse 6. We would have all felt more comfortable with that, and I would certainly have loved to finish the sermon there. But David is expressing his real emotions. Everything expressed in the previous verses was true. But the reality is that in times of thick trouble, anxiety can creep back to attack and undermine the peace that we were enjoying. And Satan can have a hand in that. He loves to cause us to doubt whether we truly can trust God to hear and answer our prayers. But we know that the Bible isn't in the inspired word of God. He allowed David to pray those words. And he didn't edit them out from the Bible. So clearly, he is happy for them to be there for us all to see. As one preacher has remarked, it would seem that there is space for some tension and raw humanity in our worship and space for struggle in our praying. God is big enough and secure enough in himself to allow us space to respectfully rant every now and then now and then but a quick rant is one thing ongoing anger and resentment is quite another and that is clearly contrary to Jesus teaching and to his supreme example of his forgiveness of those who had him crucified so in that verse David pictures his enemies as ravenous beasts showing their teeth ready to devour him so David asked God to break their teeth which would render them powerless and we need to remember that David had the weight of responsibility for his loyal supporters with him and he may well have been more concerned for their safety than for his own and then in verse 8 from the Lord comes deliverance David's final exclamation from the Lord comes deliverance shows that he was entirely dependent upon the Lord. Only he could deliver him and those with him. He was not dependent upon his troops nor his advisors whom he'd planted to mislead Absalom. He was not dependent upon any military strategy. He acknowledges that any victory would come from God alone. When we cast ourselves and God alone for deliverance, he must get all the praise when he answers. And David's final request, may your blessing be on your people. It shows that David was not praying selfishly. He was the anointed king of God's people. And Absalom's rebellion was bad news for the entire nation. So when David asked God to deliver him, he saw it in terms of, of God's blessing upon his people. What a debt we owe to King David for Psalm 3 and for all all his writings that draw us to Almighty God. It's from him alone that we can draw strength and comfort in our times of thick trouble. And of course, many of his writings draw us to praise and worship God too. But what a vastly greater debt we owe the king from David's line who followed him slightly less than a thousand years later. Like David, he was betrayed and abandoned by his followers. Like David, his enemies were intent on killing him. Like David, he was mocked and cursed. But unlike David, this king never sinned. And unlike David and his son, This king and his father were in a perfect, harmonious relationship. And unlike David, this king did not flee from his enemies. Unlike David, he did not ask God to strike them on the jaw. This king asked, Father, forgive them. And unlike David, this king willingly surrendered his life in obedience to his father even though it was to be the most horrible and brutal death by crucifixion. After three days, he rose from the dead and is now in heaven with God the Father. How we are are indebted to Jesus, the son of David, the king of kings, who is himself God. For the benefit of any here this morning who do not understand why we are all in debt to Jesus. Let me briefly explain, very succinctly. There's much greater trouble ahead than anything we might experience in this life. And Jesus is the one, the only one, who is able to deliver us from it. The greater trouble is God's judgment of our sin, and that will take place when Jesus returns from heaven heaven without any warning. And how can Jesus deliver us from God's judgment? Well, he made that possible when he was crucified. His death was the punishment for our sin. He took that punishment in our place. The Bible tells us that God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What this means is we can be spared God's judgment by admitting that there is sin in our life, that we're not perfect, by repenting of our sin, that is, is choosing not to deliberately deliberately continue uh, in that way, and by believing that Jesus has already taken the punishment for our sin so that we don't have to. By taking those steps and by choosing to live to follow Jesus we become the righteousness of God and are welcomed into his kingdom. We are delivered from God's punishment ourselves, for Jesus has taken it for us. By speaking of the great, greater trouble ahead for those who do not not belong to Jesus, I do not want to minimise the struggles and pain that we experience in this life. And there may be some here this morning who are feeling crushed I trust that David's experience and his response to it will be helpful to you, and perhaps helpful to others in the future. If there's anyone here who would like to speak to someone either concerning a difficulty which you're currently facing or to understand more about being delivered from God's judgment, or if you would like someone to pray for you, please do speak to Daniel or myself. We were delighted to help you in any way we can. But if neither of us are to your liking, if Daniel is too tall and skinny, and if I'm too short and fat, we will gladly direct you to another of our leaders. We come in a variety of shapes and sizes. (laughs) Allow me to finish in prayer. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word this morning, for its truths, that you are a shield around us when we need your protection, that you grant us peace and release us from fear when troubles come, that you hear every cry for help and that you work for good for those who love you. I especially pray for any here this morning who are facing circumstances that are causing them great anguish. I cry out to you on their behalf. And I pray that you will enable them to cry for themselves, trusting that you will answer their cries according to your purposes. We ask all these things in the name of the son of David, Jesus, the King of kings, who became sin for us, so that in him we might become your righteousness. Amen.